Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. Welcome to episode 131. So excited to have today's guest on the show. I'm interviewing Jennifer Brown. She is an LGBTQ bestselling author and CEO of a multi-million dollar inclusion and diversity consultancy. She has spoken at places like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the NBA, and Google. She also just released her second book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. And the link to that book is in the show notes. I really enjoy talking with Jennifer. She has a ton of energy and a lot of great ideas. She she taught me a few things in this episode that made me think differently about how you can use speaking not only to build visibility and credibility, but also to expand your network in a really strategic and smart way. So you'll hear more about how she did that in today's episode. And I think Sometimes when you talk to people, you can tell right away that they're a star. And I would say for sure, Jennifer Brown is a star. And it's no surprise to me why she has such a huge, successful company. She's done a lot of things right. And I think you have a lot to learn from her if you're interested in building your own business and using speaking to do it. Now, before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you that our new book, Secrets of the Sisterhood, is now out and is getting rave reviews. This book was really exciting for me to put together because it was an opportunity to showcase the women, the members of the Speaker Sisterhood and their stories. And the book has... You know, it's brought about tears for the readers. It's brought about feelings of, wow, I really understand where she's coming from. I didn't know anyone else felt the way I felt. And it's helping to kind of bridge the gap on a lot of things that we think and feel about ourselves but may not always say out loud. So if you're looking for a good read, something that you can read pretty quickly and it's it's a lot of short stories... This is the book for you. And if you have a friend in your life who could use some inspirational stories, I would highly recommend picking up another copy. The link to the book is in the show notes. So that's it for right now. I'm going to jump into our interview with Jennifer Brown. Just want to mention this interview was scheduled while I was on the road. So the audio quality isn't as good as usual, but you can definitely still hear everything we're talking about. Enjoy. All right, Jennifer Brown, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to have you on today. A lot of our listeners are consultants, coaches, freelancers, solo business owners who recognize the value of marketing through speaking. And they also recognize it's a lot of work and there (laughs) is an art to it. And there's a way to get up on stage and not only inform and add value to your audience, but to also sell what you're doing in a way that doesn't have that weird gross like pitch at the, you know, <laughs> totally. here comes the pitch. Yep, um, yep, yep. <laughs> and so I, I would love to talk with you about how you built your multi, multi-million dollar consultancy 
through public speaking and I'm sure some other marketing vehicles. And then talk to you more about some of the speaking techniques you've used while you're on stage. Mm -hmm. So before we jump into all of that, I would love to hear about your speaking journey. Did you set out to be a public speaker or (laughs) did you learn about the value of speaking as you built your business? Oh my gosh, I'd say both. Um, I didn't really know it was a thing. I, I think yeah. as a career <laughs> um, and actually, so my, my early days, I was always an activist. So I was in nonprofits in my twenties. I knew I wanted to make a difference and that sort of makes sense in terms of now focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm also LGBTQ. So I've been out since I was 22 and I'm now in my forties. So long, many years of, of kind of finding my voice and my confidence in that realm, which is still very deeply stigmatized and certainly was, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, and then I was also a, I, I left my activism nonprofit work to become an opera singer. I literally moved to New York to be, what? to go to conservatory. Yeah. I didn't know a soul here. Um, <laughs> it was wild, <laughs> um, but I, I parachuted into that. I was so excited. I ended up sadly having vocal surgery because I kept injuring my voice through the course of training, which is really arduous. And I ended up um, realizing the writing was on the wall. I would not be able to make a living with an instrument that kept failing me. Mm. And so uh, I had to reinvent and I followed some performer friends who had had also to reinvent because inevitably most of us do. Yeah, (laughs) That day comes. Um, And they said, why don't you look into leadership development and training because you like the stage? And I thought, what is this strange field? Like, you know, I I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. And I got a second master's in organizational change, organizational development, leadership. Ended up in a series of training roles in HR teams in corporate. And I never thought, given my activism in my early days, like I never thought I would be in corporate. And it turns out there's so many sort of passionate advocates in the corporate space. There's LGBT people trying to influence their companies. There's, you know, women's networks. There's some, you know, allies and senior executives who are very sort of pro-diversity. And so I would eventually kind of incorporate my own business start to build my team of consultants. And I was a consultant. It used to just be me. You know, I would sell the work and I would then deliver the work. And I was not at all a speaker. I think I was very much behind the scenes in the early days, um, building the, the consulting brand and mm-hmm. um, getting in there and doing some training and sort of architecting companies' strategies. What were you doing at that time to build the brand? Um, at that time, I was um, honestly, conferences are the way that I have truly built my brand, like mm. since the beginning. Uh, I got myself on planes, I volunteered, I always suggested myself to moderate panels um, whenever they needed me, like I would do it. And I crafted a couple really good relationships with conference organizers, like the people who basically are the curators of conferences. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I I was sort of on the spot. Like I was like, well, what do you need? And I became kind of a resource for people. Um, And and through moderating panels, which I tended to be really good at because I, 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 I... Deep down, I I knew I would be a speaker, I think, right? But I think you have to work your way into it and establish the credibility with the people that matter. And being a moderator put me in front of audiences. People could see how I conducted myself on stage and also how I facilitated the dialogue with panelists. And it actually did the sales for me. 
because mm-hmm. I ended up going to a lot of conferences um, and being seen by the people that would then hire me and my team. And that was how, and then I, obviously I would like try to collect everybody's business cards in the room, you know, and I would follow up and I would send helpful resources. And in the early days, we wrote several white papers as a firm around um, diversity networks, actually, because we consulted a lot with ERGs, which is like the Women's Network, the LGBTQ Network, the Black Employee Network. We specialized in that in the early days as consultants. So I wrote a paper on that and it became very popular and it still is like a resource 10 years later. People are like, I have it laminated on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an example of something that I always, I always gave. Like I always was generous and I was always pouring into the field that I, my new field, right? Um, particularly when it was in the early days to sort of establish myself. But I was never really, and I would never be comfortable cold calling. It just, you know, it wasn't native to me. It wasn't organic. So I had to kind of go about it a different way. And I think moderating panels was a gift of mine because I'm so curious about people. I love interviewing them and I love like giving them the stage and connecting what they're saying to what I know about what the audience really needs to learn. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was a gift I discovered Um, And I didn't always have to be the star at all. And I mean, if you had told me then that I would end up being a keynoter, I would have been really surprised actually, because I much preferred to be kind of behind the scenes, like facilitating other people's stories, you know, and making sure that they're shining. Yeah. I love that you're taking steps that are revealing more information without diving in, but you're still getting a lot of value out of it because by moderating the panel, you're getting that visibility and credibility, exactly. but you're not putting the pressure on yourself to go from not speaking to delivering like a... Yeah, that was like the training wheels. It, yeah. really, it really was. And then, and then what really then catapulted me as an expert, right, is that evolved over time. It's something that I earned um, because I didn't start my company. I mean, I don't really think any of us is really an expert, right? Like we're all learning and we're all kind of figuring it out. (laughs) Yeah. I have so many feelings about the word expert. Like like I think we can have a six hour conversation just about that word. (laughs) It's so true. But you know, it's funny. I think it's gendered too. Like I think actually more women need to claim the term expert and fewer men need to claim it. (laughs) (laughs) So I do think though that we, we probably do need to say I'm an expert in X and like own it, you know, and really, and breathe it. Right. And I think, and believe it, like when you do succeed to a certain point, um, we, we need to be those role models that none of us had. Mm -hmm. And so for me to be more open about like, I'm a successful keynoter, like I'm in demand, I've won awards or we're a multi-million dollar consulting company. Like saying all that stuff is important because I just, I never knew what that was even because we just lack role models. So, you know, when we do achieve a certain place, we do need to, you know, toot our own horn a bit and kind of play the power game. Um, well, which may or may not be comfortable for some of us. <laughs> absolutely. And I've, we've had this conversation on this podcast so many times. I've had so many guests on who've, you know, t- we've had the same conversation. Do you think there's a line where once you reach the like X level, you can call yourself an expert or, because mm-hmm. I think what, what we do as women is we go, oh, if I, when I take this class or I get this <laughs> certification or one more year and we keep moving the bar. And so we can never, we can so never get to it because, oh, I need to do one more thing. And we'll have to write this book. No. And you know, it's like, oh my gosh, so true. I see my female friends 
constantly signing up for these programs, right? Like these MBAs and these masterminds. And and I look at them and I'm like, you're already there. Like you need to stop and just claim it. Like you're there. And I think for us, we, you're right. We delay. We just don't see ourselves in the way that the world could see us. Mm -hmm. Um, And we continue to amass, you know, certifications and, and do, and, and especially like do other people's programs when really like we've got everything we need and then some, we just need to start running with what we have. And I got some really good advice early, early days as a consultant um, from another consultant who said, fake it till you make it, (laughs) which I loved. And um, she also said to me, say yes and figure out how later. And that's, that is really important for women in particular um, to, to stop and be like, wait a second. Like I have the answers in me. And if I don't have the answers, I have the network to get the answers and I will be fine if I say yes to this, I am smart enough and ingenious enough and resourceful enough that I will figure it out. At some point, we've got to... And I mean, I learned this from men and the way that they behave in the business space. Like I watched it and I was like, I've tried to emulate it actually because I've known that I think our gendered conditioning is so harmful to our playing powerful in this space. And it, and now I'm... From where I sit now, I get really angry like that I look at the leadership book table at Barnes and Noble. And I see like mostly male authors writing about leadership and that I'm not considered an expert on leadership. Like it, it infuriates me. Mm-hmm. And it infuriates at me that I don't see more women on that table besides the usual suspects who I, who I love, you know, Brene Brown, love, you know, Cheryl Sandberg, great. Um, but I'm just like, God, you know, why do we why do we not see expertise in women? Like, why do we not hold them up and say, well, I've learned everything I know about leadership from these five women authors. Yeah. Like, it's never a conversation that we have. And I can barely name enough. Like, even from where I sit, and I'm kind of paying attention to this and saying, you know, I, I look at my bookshelf and I think about all the, the books that were, were so important to me in my early days, and they're all written by men. Mm-hmm. Like, all the classics. So yeah, we have to really change that. And similar with keynote speakers, by the way, I feel very unusual at my level. I I feel, I look around and I'm like, who's, (laughs) who's here? And like, what, and who are the women that are at my level? And, and particularly LGBTQ women, like there's almost nobody Mm -hmm. for sure. So it's a little bit odd. And I, I, I think that's a, that's a big missing piece for all of us to step into. Absolutely. And that's one of the missions of this podcast is to yeah. help women claim the stage. And, I love and it. That, that's in every part of their life. And, you know, to actually yeah. get on the stage and get in front of people, but also in the home and with, in their, mm. with their partner and mm-hmm. in friendships and, you know, in so many different ways. So mm. I'm, I'm 100% on board with everything you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so you've made public speaking a major revenue stream in your consulting business after mm-hmm. you realized the power of getting up on stage. How did you, um, how did speaking become your number one strategy to bring in corporate clients like Walmart and Starbucks and other big companies? You know, honestly, it it was sort of in the reverse. So my keynoting has happened, if I've had my company for 12 years, it's really only happened in the last couple of years. Hmm. And um, it, it, again, I may be that object lesson we were just talking about, about like waiting and waiting and waiting to kind of burst forward into a more public role and probably waiting too long because, you know, I, I had everything I needed. Probably I didn't just, I, I waited until 2016 to write my first book. 
Um, and it was a, kind of a, a mess in terms of the process of getting it out into the world. Like we had to fire our publisher. Like we had to, oh. I mean, it was a nightmare um, and it was way too expensive. And yet finally it came out and I was so thrilled. Even with all of that, I was thrilled. And I think when you have, when you're an author, things shift and you realize to promote books, you need to be speaking like yeah. in a more sort of concrete way. And I think that that, that shifted the way I thought about myself and it gave me a reason and a platform to position myself as a speaker. And it just so happened that after having done DNI work behind the scenes from a consulting perspective, I was also sort of ready as an expert to burst forth and I had something to say. And I felt confident in saying it. And I'll tell, that's why I tell everybody, write a book because it forces you and also give a TED talk if you can, yeah. you know, anything you can do to kind of force yourself to say like, what is my core message? And am I ready to really put it out there and like, let it fly? Because that requires, I think, clarity and trust, you know, that you leap and the net will appear, that um, you are ready to speak your message and you don't kind of care what happens, you know, because you, it's so important. It's sort of like burning a hole in you. Mm-hmm. And I think I had just been behind the scenes kind of CEOing and building my team and putting my team out there as the experts for many, many years. And that was, I think, the way it, it needed to happen for me because I needed to learn. I did not have the expertise that I have today originally. So what I, how I built my companies, I brought in experts and I sent them out to our clients. So I was the rainmaker. I had the Rolodex and I was the salesperson. And I was sort of the umbrella brand. And then I brought these amazing people in that were the experts that had been doing this work for decades. And I was so proud to put them out there. And then I was able to learn from them. Um, So it's a bit bit of an unconventional way that I built my business. It was a lot of years of like the training wheels, you know, of finding my voice. Well, what is my message? Well, how is it distinct? Um, You know, where do I fit in this conversation? Because I'm always really conscious as well of, like, what is my unique angle on this field that has a ton of voices in it, you know? Yeah. And I guess I just, I wasn't quite right. Until that book, first book came out, I really realized, oh my gosh, now I'm an author and now I'm a speaker. And now I have like a, I even, we even built a separate website, which is Jennifer Brown Speaks, which was all about the book and my speaking. And that kind of like sent the subliminal message to me anyway, that like, okay, now you are this. And I stepped into it. It went well. Um, I got a great response. I continue to kind of be now sought after as a speaker. And now I think I can call myself more of an expert um, than I've ever really felt comfortable calling myself. But um, it's just interesting. I, I, I probably, I know that I struggled with confidence in, in many of the same ways that most women do. And also those of us who are underrepresented, it's not just women, you know, it's whenever you can't see that role model, you, I think it takes us longer to launch. Mm-hmm. Like it, it takes us longer to claim a stage. And I wish that that weren't true. And so the message I would give people is like, you are ready you are ready now. Like don't torture yourself about whether or not you've earned it you know, yeah. earn the right to, to be there. Like if you, your message, however imperfect it may be, and it will, it will perfect itself over time as you deliver it. Right. Mm-hmm. You will figure out like, oh, so the audience resonates with this point or this joke, or I need to say this to clarify, you know, but you've got to get out there and start playing with your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it feels like it's this wonderful, 
it's like the mosh pit, you know, I'm like the rock star, like jumping out and like swimming around and, you know, like, what do they need and what are they going to like and what's going to be helpful for them? And, you know, how can I move them given the time I have? Like I enjoy, it feels very much like a co-creation in the moment. And, Mm -hmm. um, I don't at all feel like I'm there to be the teacher. Um, that could, cause that can be very intimidating. And that I think leads to our doubts about ourselves because, well, I'm not the teacher. I'm not the expert. You know, what could I possibly share? You know, yeah. we can't think that way. You know, if, if you can at all think about where's your audience, what do they need to hear and learn? And if you're the messenger for that message, um, that's going to get more sort of clear over time you've got, it's your laboratory, honestly, mm-hmm. and it doesn't need to be perfect. Start small, you know, start pro bono, start, you know, charging whatever you can, um, knowing that, you know, you can accelerate and get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And that's, that's the piece where um, it's taken to probably a lot of years for me. And I'm not sure, I'm not really sure it needed to take so many years, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. it, is, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, if you could go back in time to when you were starting your company, what would you tell yourself to do differently in that, along those lines of speaking? Oh gosh. Um, so for, to be a bigger keynoter, you have to have a book. Like it's, it's critical. So I think pre-book, um, well, I might have written the book sooner, mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, and I just didn't, I don't think I had the wherewithal and the confidence to do it or the, or I didn't meet the right person at the right moment. And that's why I try I mentor people. I steer them towards um, somebody named Jen Grace, who, who has a company called Publish Your Purpose Press. Uh, she works with about, has worked with about 30 authors and she helped me get my first book out. And I just didn't know people like that existed, I guess. Um, And so I think we're in a sort of vacuum in terms of information about who can help us, or at least I was back then. Maybe now it's, you know, everywhere. Um, But I still do think that getting that TEDx under your belt, um, the process of writing a good talk, so finding a coach that's like going to hold the space for you and push you and help you literally script it. Um, because you've got to have a talk, you know, you can't just decide I'm going to be a speaker and like, Oh, what am I going to speak about? So, um, that process, you need like the Sherpas and the midwives, (laughs) the mid husbands and midwives, you know, I don't love the word wife, (laughs) (laughs) whatever. Um, but the people who are going to hold the space for you, kick your butt a little, push you to be uncomfortable, you should kind of get that board of directors for yourself as a speaker as early as you can and, and, and work with them, you know, make, make time, do speaker showcases, like give your talk, find a TEDx that'll take you and put you on the stage and get that video and um, just start to very much invest. It's not free. You know, I think that you have to kind of pay people for help, Mm -hmm. but you should, you should be absolutely investing in yourself. If you think that this is something that you're gifted at and you really, you need to be and belong on the stage, um, you should treat it as a business, you know, and be investing in that piece. So, yeah, I love that concept of having a board of directors because you do need a lot of support. It's not an easy path, but um, having the right people in place can definitely make it easier. Yeah, and also locate people who have the career you want and get on their calendar and pick their brain. Like, yeah. I mean, people ask for time with me all the time, and I actually really enjoy 
I, you know, I don't have the time technically, but I, I really enjoy saying, call this person, work with this person. You mm-hmm. know, do you have a talk? Do you have a reel? Do you have slides? Like, what's your point of view? Who's your audience? What kind of conferences do you are on your list? How are you kind of getting in the door? Like I described earlier, like offering your time for free or whatever. Like, like I put people through kind of a, a drill. And they're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Or, oh, I need to be doing that. Or, oh, I need to make time for that. Or, you know, and so like just something as simple as, for example, like identifying the top 10 conferences that you would want want to speak at in some capacity and looking at their speaker deadlines and thinking about maybe I pitch a panel, like maybe I pitch a group of us on a topic. It doesn't always need to be you alone on a stage. Right. That was the way I did it because I was more comfortable playing with others on the stage than I was standing there alone mm-hmm. for a while, for many years. So that was the way I sort of got my engine running and I warmed up my own confidence about like, if I were up here alone, what would I say? Right. <laughs> and I think that probably would have intimidated me like in the earlier years, just of the course. idea of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It is a lot of pressure. <laughs> now I'm like, now I'm like the bigger audience, the better, like bring it on. Yeah. Now <laughs> like, it's really fun. I love the challenge <laughs> of it, but um, you know, and the other thing for me is not having a talk. Like I was tortured for a long time about like, what is my, what is my keynote? Like what, like, what is it? like literally the content of it. And I, I kept like flirting with things and drafting and it didn't feel right. And it, and I, I just, I remember feeling so like, I'm ready to give it, but what is it? Mm. And I struggled with that for a long time. And um, that's why I think the TEDx format of, tw- okay, you have 12 minutes. Like what, what is your message in a bottle is yeah. so hard and yet so essential. Yeah. Because if you can do that, that helped me. I got my 12 minutes and now I can expand. That is actually still the core of my, of the talk I give today, like years later, you know, give or take new models that I've added into. I can do a half hour. I can do 45 minutes. I can do an hour, which includes some interactivity. Um, you know, I can sort of flex it and shape it, but the core of it has been the same for a while. And once I got that, then I could really run with it. So, you know, I think that's a worthy investment to kind of think about like, what is my talk? And then my friend calls it a slinky speech. So it should be something that can expand and contract depending on, you know, how long you have. Oh, I like that name. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) So getting back to the speeches that you've given in the last couple of years, like your Mm -hmm. keynotes and the things that you've used to bring in new clients, do you include a sales pitch in those talks? And like, what kind of content are you putting in there in order to show potential clients that you would be a good partner for them. Yeah. I really do that very subtly. I'm super careful. Um, and we've tried to do like text this code to get a free download of like a, you know, free resource, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever I, and I literally, I don't love it. I'm not comfortable with it. And anytime we sort of put it into my keynote and like, I plan to do it. I totally like skip it or forget it or something, whatever. (laughs) So I am deeply uncomfortable selling from the stage. Um, I really prefer to kind of show, not tell like my expertise. And I like to, I do think I'm very good at doing that in a subtle way, implying that, look, we're a bunch of experts and we can help you you know, if, if something about this talk has intrigued you, if you feel a trust with me, um, if you like the, the way I approach this work, 
you know, there, there's sort of more where that came from, but I have to be really careful. Um, because conferences are funky about that kind of stuff too. And you yeah. have to be really, you've got to really pay attention to like who brought you in and how do other speakers behave? Because you can get very penalized for being too salesy mm-hmm. at most of the stages I'm on. Yep. And it's just annoying. Like, especially if you're on a panel, you have to be really careful about selling because you're there, you know, you're there to partake in a discussion. You're not there to take over. Yeah. Um, so I think that the way having, again, having a book is key for this. I think before we had a book, it was harder. People get super excited about books. Like even if you do a mini book, it doesn't even need to be like a fancy hardcover, like with a publisher. Like if you have a resource that is some kind of pamphlet or like I said, like mini books, there's companies that produce these. Um, anytime you can give away things, anytime you can, um, add value without asking people for something in return, um, they will love you. And um, books books will get you in the door because people then are very impressed that you have one. And they, like I said earlier, they sort of assume the expertise and they assume that you're very established. Mm-hmm. Um, our book, the second book that I have now has an assessment that we built along with the book. So I would also really recommend a tool, like think about whenever you write and you have your thought leadership, have some kind of tool or assessment that's free that goes along with it. And that's, um, that, that gives people a report in terms of where they are as a learner. So for us, the second book is called How to Be an Inclusive Leader and it's a four phase model. It's like a maturity journey. Um, and there's an assessment that people can take. So I, what I do now is I do share a code with each audience and I direct them to the link and I tell them to go take the assessment. But I don't kind of do it to harvest people's email addresses necessarily, although it is possible to get people's email addresses from it. I do it because I want to help them as learners and it will give them like a report with resources that they can go and sort of further their journey. So to me, that feels in integrity because again, I'm sort of giving back. Like I'm, I'm enhancing people's leadership journey whether they ever come to us as consultants or not, I, I hope that that happens, but it it just feels better. Yeah. And it gives them a reason to remember you. Exactly. Beyond just that yes. one interaction on the stage. I love exactly. that. Yeah. So that's the way I do it now. And then I also, I raffle off books in a lot of my free gigs. I'll raffle off books um, and in, in exchange for people's business cards. And so I do do that, which is interesting. <laughs> and again, you have to be careful. People are okay with you doing that. Yeah. But, um, and if you get people's business cards, you have to respect people's data and all that kind of stuff. But um, for me and my conversation right now and my topic, people really are so hungry for help. Mm-hmm. Like they're, people are just desperate for guidance on the topic of diversity right now. Um, so typically for me, luckily people are gobbling up anything I can give them. Uh, so that's, that's, but it hasn't always been the case. Like I, I don't think this topic has been ever as hot as it is right now. Yeah. And I've been in this world for over a decade, kind of feeling like I was pushing people to pay attention to it. And now it feels more like I'm being pulled into the conversation and it's been much easier, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Pushing is hard and exhausting and expensive and frustrating because you're like, why is nobody paying attention to this? The house is on fire. And, 
you know, everybody's kind of in this inertia. And now I think people are like, oh my gosh, like I have to be an inclusive leader because like my marketplace is changing. My teams are changing. Like I'm falling behind. I don't understand like pronouns. And why are we talking about that? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so it's, it's just the urgency has really shifted. And I'm so grateful for that on so many levels because I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. Absolutely. And and while this has become a hot topic for employers and trying to understand how to create a more inclusive workplace, it may not be as important to employees. So, mm-hmm. and maybe that's not the case, but what kind of techniques do you use to engage the room, especially if you're standing in front of a group that may not really understand why they're there or why this right. is important? Right. Oh my gosh. My favorite question. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, I I cut my teeth, like I mentioned, I think on facilitating uh, trainings on like negotiation skills and conflict management and, you know, supervisory skills and even business writing. You know, I taught business writing and public speaking many, many, many times. And you talk about like audiences who are either like terrified in the case of public speaking or like, frustrated and unengaged when it comes to business writing. They were like, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so you have to be very sparkly. You have to be super high energy. And that's, I think, where the train, my, my uh, performing background comes in. Mm. You know, when the show must go on, like you step on stage and you just come alive. And Is that when you do your opera singing? <laughs> yeah, well, kind of. So I play, I walk on stage to a clip of, of myself singing with orchestra. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, if anybody's interested, you can look up my, um, my TEDx talk at TEDx Presidio and you'll see, you'll see the talk in you know, various shapes that I still kind of give today. But I walk on stage to that and then I say the voice that you just heard was mine. And people are shocked because they don't think opera singers look like me and they don't <laughs> think that a voice like that can come out of a little package like me. <laughs> and so people laugh, they start clapping, it sort of eases you need a like, you need an opening. You always need a powerful opening that kind of takes people's breath away or surprises them or, or like catches them in a moment of bias, right? And in this case, it's a bias about like what kind of voice lives in what kind of person, right? Um, and then it just goes on from there. Like then in the first five minutes, I come out to them, they're shocked. Like it's like a whole thing, right? <laughs> so anytime, anytime you can kind of capture an audience with cognitive dissonance, which means like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Or, oh my gosh, I assumed this. Or, oh wow, like she's surprising me. Mm. All of that is good. So you have to be, it's not controversial. It's It's just planning planning how you're going to win people's trust quickly. And for me also being vulnerable, like coming out is no fun. Like Mm. it's, especially in some audiences where perhaps it's mostly men, perhaps it's mostly executives. Mm. Like it's terrifying, honestly. Um, And yet I know how important it is to do because what I'm, my whole message is about embracing our diversity stories and that everybody has one. And if I walk on stage and I don't share mine, I can't expect the audience to go on a journey with me. And so also I would say vulnerability is really important while being very careful not to give away your credibility. So there's an interesting balance of, you know, for me, like coming out and being vulnerable about that at the same time as I am a published author, I'm an acknowledged expert, like I'm working with all these big companies. So I balance it to make sure like people don't think I'm a lightweight. Mm -hmm. 
right? So there's a balance there, right? You have to thread that needle and that's tricky. Um, and then, um, like I said earlier, depending on how much time I have, I have my deck, but I can slow it down or speed it up depending on how much time I have. And when I slow it down, because I have more time, I can tell more stories. I can riff a little bit. I do an activity in the middle. So I literally, audiences love adult learning theory taught me in my second master's. Um, we had a whole class on it that 90% of the knowledge you need as a facilitator lives in your audience. It's already there. So the question is, how do you how do you pull it out and get people to relate what you're talking about to their experience? And that will help kind of ground the learning. And so I try not to talk more than about 20 minutes, and then I break and have them apply the concepts I'm talking about. And so we stop, we do, and I've done this with a thousand people amazingly. Like you can do it with a very big group, mm-hmm. but I have them turn to their neighbor. I have them share something they keep under their waterline that they're covering in the workplace every day. I get, you know, I set them up with, for this with a lot of different examples and inevitably the room just erupts because people are dying to talk to each other and they're dying to share with each other and sort of verbalize what they've been thinking as they've been listening to me. And it just like galvanizes the energy in the room. I, I debrief it. We pass the mic sometimes Oprah style. <laughs> you know, um, I continue on with my talk, give them more, let them react again if I have time. And then we do Q&A at the end um, where literally we'll have mic stands or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll open it up. And I love Q&A because I, I, at the end of the day, I'm such a consultant and I, I have no issue. And not only that, I enjoy the challenge of, responding to something that I don't know what it's going to be. And I enjoy, that's, I think also the performer in me is like improving and being like, so what question am I going to get and how am I going to answer it? And (laughs) right. Like I can handle anything, like throw anything at me. Like there's no, especially on my topic, I want to encourage people to ask the questions or, you know, do the vulnerable share of their personal story that they've never shared. Like that, those are the moments like I live for. So I love Q and A, and and it's it's like impossible for it to go wrong, like it's for me anyway. Because like, and that's I think where there's difference between like keynote speakers and who aren't consultants and keynote speakers like me who actually like spent years in the trenches doing the work. Because then I can actually I can switch hats and go from the speaker to the consultant in terms of answering questions and how would I solve for something and what guidance would I give? And, um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's an interesting moment. Um, so you have to think about like, who are you? Like, are you a speaker? Are you a consultant? Are you an author? Like, are you all three? Um, how do you want to structure your gigs in such a way that you keep yourself safe? I mean, I know keynoters that don't do Q and A. And I also know keynoters that don't do any interactivity because they're just not, they're not, facilitators. They're more speakers. You know, they're there to, they're there to speak and leave. And that's fine, you know, but it's just been different for me given the, the sort of things I, I enjoy and the, um, my ability to improvise and kind of handle anything that comes up. And also just what I've learned as a facilitator in terms of engaging your audience, I think makes my keynotes like, I think grounds the learning for them and sort of ups the energy um, and makes me feel more comfortable too, because I don't want to be doing all the talking. Yeah. And they want to interact. They yeah, they do. They want to talk to each other. Like yeah. give them a chance to do that. 
Yeah. I found that everything changed for me in terms of how I think about Q&A when I was willing to accept that I might not know the answer and the answer (laughs) might be, I don't know. Yes. And that's fine. (laughs) And that's okay. That's so fine. And and you might want to say like, come up and speak to me later. Like after this, I'd be happy to have a one-on-one with you. Like that's fine. Yeah. Give me your email address. I'll research it and get back to you. Like that's a totally acceptable answer. (laughs) Absolutely. And if you're on a panel, you can turn to your, you know, partners up there and say, well, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, let me, you know, let me not answer that. And like, ask you so-and-so to, you know what I mean? So there's also ways to kind of, you know, manage it if you've got people on stage with you. Right. Tell me more about your book and where we can find it. Sure. It's called, uh, I have two. So the latest is called How to Be an Inclusive Leader. It's on Amazon and all the other places. I'm trying to get it into independent bookstores too, but um, that takes a lot of work um, as maybe some of your authors in your audience know. Um, (laughs) uh, But it is on Amazon. It's an ebook and also audiobook. So I read the whole thing myself um, and the assessment link is in the book. So in case you want to take the free assessment I was talking about earlier that gives you the report on your inclusive leader journey, it's in there. Um, And yeah, and I have a podcast called The Will to Change where I have a lot of interesting guests on with fascinating and heartbreaking diversity stories and very, very courageous people. Um, that inspire me, that I've learned a lot. I, I keep my learning going by actually interviewing people that are sort of outside of my direct focus area so that I can keep my skills fresh. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I really value that time. And uh, yeah, and the first book is called Inclusion and it's from 2017. So you'll see you'll see both of them if you look at Amazon and you'll see a lot of other amazing books by my peers and people in my field um, will come up. I love what... Amazon does like the algorithm recommends like all the other great books um, in your space. So uh, yeah. And where can we get more information about you and your company? Yeah. So, so my consulting team website is jenniferbrownconsulting.com. I have an incredible group of consultants who are, you talk about experts. Um, So they're kind of engaging in our mainly like Fortune 1000 clients. That's typically who we service. Uh, And so that's Jennifer Brown Consulting. And then Jennifer Brown Speaks is my author, speaker, podcast host website. Um, And so there's links on there. We do transcripts of all of my podcast interviews. So um, we do that to be accessible and make sure that the content is, is accessible for folks. And also for some of us who just prefer to read content and absorb it better that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm in social media quite a lot. I'm at Jennifer Brown on Twitter, at Jennifer Brown Speaks on Instagram, and on Facebook and LinkedIn, Jennifer Brown Consulting. And I think, I think that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all the things. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your journey so and welcome. some of your learnings and insights. I think there were so many great tidbits that could be taken from from your experience for anyone at various levels of navigating speaking and consulting and just figuring out, you know, how to become an author and what to do once you have a book and so many pieces that you've figured out and just appreciate you sharing all of that knowledge and wisdom with us. Oh, thank you so much. And I I wish everybody so much luck and confidence as you step on stage, know that, you know, somebody needs to hear your message and the longer you wait 
to have it be perfect, the longer you are depriving somebody (laughs) of what you need to share. So, you know, get out there, do it. And um, it's something you can definitely get better at over time as long as you practice. Yes. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jennifer Brown and took away some good tips for your speaking journey. I know I did really love her. Um, All the information we talked about and her ways to connect with her are in the show notes and you can find her speaking page and her website and her book and all of her social media channels right there. So that does it for me this week, you guys. I hope you are doing well, enjoying the holidays and getting ready for a big new year. If you have any ideas for guests or topics you haven't heard yet on the show, I'm always open to ideas. We have a lot of good guests or exciting guests. I would say really, actually, we're going to go with really big guests scheduled for 2020. And I'm excited about the new direction for the podcast, which I'll be talking about soon. Just want to drop some breadcrumbs right now. And uh, I appreciate you all being here listening. I hope you're getting a lot from the show and looking forward to creating more for you. So as always, you guys, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.